Sometimes I can't hear the sound Trying to make sense in my brain Lies in Alzheimer's with Lisa Skinner is a podcast that is airing on Passionate World Talk Radio Network, a subsidiary of Global Media Network, LLC. Is what I need to change the world. everybody doing today? Welcome to our show, Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's, the podcast. I'm Lisa Skinner, your host. Let's go ahead and start this conversation. Sometimes I can hear the sound, trying to make sense in my brain. Smooth melody comes to life. After the rain Cope, don't struggle, navigate the challenges of Alzheimer's Is what I need to change the world A few bunch of words in this song Written for me and for you All the things we can do For the sake of the nature we love goal is to get to the truth, dispel the lies and myths, and unveil its secret faces. Understand what it's truly like to live with this disease, and focus on what really matters, spending quality time with your loved one. Hi, I'm Lisa Skinner. I am so happy you pushed the play button to watch this video today. That tells me that you are more than likely looking for guidance as a memory caregiver to someone who suffers from Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Everyone has an Alzheimer's story. So let's start that conversation now. I know your pain. Not only have I had eight of my own family members suffer from dementia, but I've been counseling families for nearly 30 years. And just like you, I've been a caregiver for family members. I know firsthand the challenges that unexpectedly show up, just like a California earthquake that shakes your very foundation and it comes out of nowhere. For many, many years now, I've listened to the stories of people living with dementia, about aimless wandering, looking for something that doesn't exist, hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, just to mention a few of the behaviors that we see. And the worst part about this disease is that everyone is in it for the long haul. It lasts four years. The average is eight to 15 years. So let me share a little bit about me and my skill set. Well, I'm a behavior specialist with an expertise in living with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. My background includes being a speaker, a counselor, a support group leader, a regional director for one of the largest senior care organizations where I set up memory care wings, developed 
programs, and I am a certified dementia care trainer through the Alzheimer's Association. I also hold a degree in human behavior. I have written multiple books on the subject and now have developed a concise guide, a book, and a workbook that delivers solutions that will help you return to what really matters. And what's that? spending quality time with your loved one. I applaud you for having the courage to care for a person who will eventually rely on you for everything. Many people over the years have said to me that the job would be so much easier if it only came with a manual. Well, now it does. With our new training workshops, we will cover many of the everyday challenges that you will encounter, which will equip you with an arsenal of tools and tips to help make your world easier to manage. Currently, there is no cure for Alzheimer's disease, nor a way to detect it in its early stages. Yet, every 66 seconds, someone in the U.S. is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So, follow along with me as I join you in your new reality. I know this information is not easy to find, but you have come to the right place. All you need to do now is listen, learn, and implement the techniques that I will be teaching you into your new world of memory caregiving. Please go to our website at truthliesalzheimers.com to learn more. I'm Lisa Skinner, and I am here with you on this journey. and Alzheimer's It's Secret Faces by authors Lisa Skinner and Douglas W. Collins is a concise guide for caregivers navigating the heartbreaking challenges of having a loved one diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and other dementia. Everyone has an Alzheimer's story. It's time to start that conversation about Alzheimer's disease and stop treating it like it's only family business. You can find it on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and other fine booksellers. Humanity witnessed thousands of diseases over the years. Cures for some, but a few devastated the world. Countless suffering and pain for the patients and families, even losing their loved ones at times. Today, our society demands more advancements in the medical sciences, a futuristic technology of bloodless surgery and ultimate method of healing the body from the root cause. And that's where Geostar steps in, safeguarding the future health with the power of regenerative medicine. If your aim is to work for the society, if your aim is to work for the betterment of the people, if you want to give life to the people, you have to burn like a sun. Global Institute of Stem Cell Therapy and Research, known as Geostar, based in San Diego, California.
trying to make sense in my brain. Hi, I am thrilled to be able to introduce our very special guest today, Mr. Mike Parker. Mike is an award-winning writer, actor, director, and playwright. And Mike is the creator and founder of BuddyHollywood.com, uh, which is an online entertainment magazine. Welcome to the show, Mike. I am so happy to have you here. Absolutely thrilled to be joining you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure. Uh, now, we say at Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's, the podcast, that everybody has an Alzheimer's story. And Mike Parker is no exception. He's here today to share with us his extraordinary story of having six of his family members succumb to Alzheimer's disease. Mike, welcome to the show. You know, this is almost unheard of to have six family members uh, of the same family, all blood relatives, um, develop Alzheimer's disease. Um, now, I've had eight, and people are blown away when they hear I've had eight, but not all of mine were blood relatives. They were a few through marriage. Um, share with us what this has been like for your family. You know, you're absolutely right. Everybody has an Alzheimer's story, and I wish I wasn't part of that elite group, um, but I am. And it's, I think, the way I describe it is it's just, it's challenging. It's uh, it's a little bit scary, and it's uh, and it's exhausting. Uh, if I'm just being completely honest, um, my story starts back with my dad, um, who slowly slipped into various stages of dementia, including Alzheimer's. Um, I would come home. My parents live probably a good 12 hours away from me by car. So I, I didn't get to see him very much. We would drive in, you know, maybe two, three times a year. And uh, at one point, my mom would pull me aside and go, do you notice anything wrong with dad? I mean, he's just not himself. And I think he's got Alzheimer's. And, uh, you know, I would talk to dad and he would seem fine to me. Uh, of course, I'm not there all the time. And we'd come back in a few more months and mom would go, something's just wrong with dad. And um, Over the years, he just slipped further and further away until he was really bed fast and hospitalized and uh, finally came home to, to die, in essence, uh, waiting for the end. Do you remember when your mom brought to your attention uh, that she suspected that there might be something serious going on. How many years was it before it was blatantly obvious that there was definitely something going on here? You know, it, it really started when he was around 80 years old and my dad passed away when he was 88. So I'm going to say about eight years. Um, and she probably noticed it before that, um, if I'm honest. Uh, my younger brother died of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer when he was 39 years old, when my dad turned 80, just shortly after that. And the decline was marked after that point. Up to that point, uh, he would exhibit uh, signs like paranoia. Uh, you know, friends would be over, jokes, I think he'd be over in the corner going, why are they laughing at me? 
I had nothing to do with him, you know. Uh, so those kind of things would happen. And then as he continued to decline, uh, he would lose his memory. He sure people were, um, you know, lost bodily functions, um, getting to the bathroom for him uh, and those kind of things until he finally got to the point where really he was incapable of taking care of himself. And how did your family uh, manage the care? So talk to us a little bit about uh, was he at home? Was the, was your mother his primary caregiver? Talk to us a little bit about uh, the care that, that he received during his illness. Well, uh, my kids call my mother the Iron Lady. Uh, she is the most tenacious, stubborn, um, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, willful person I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, and her whole her whole posture the entire time she was going through all of this was, that's my husband. I married him for better, for worse. I'm taking care of him. So he stayed at home pretty much all the way up until the point where he was hospitalized and uh, went into a nursing care facility for, you know, three or four weeks while he was getting his legs under him again, so to speak. And uh, mom was not happy at all with the care that he was receiving. And she basically said, nope, taking him home. I'm like, you sure you want to do that? Because you're no stranger. I mean, she's just in her late 80s at that point. Uh, she said, nope. So she took him home and called the VA and they got a hospital bed out there for her, put it in the living room. And she slept in the living room in the chair beside my dad for the next however many years it was until he finally passed away. Did hospice eventually come in and, and help with the care? Hospice did come in um, right there at the very end. We my brother and my older brother and I, you know, tried to help as much as we could with the financial decisions and the care decisions, those kind of things. Um, but primarily we paid for private um, private nursing care to come in and help dad with you know, things like, you know, giving him a bath, uh, just those kind of things, feeding and helping me. Um, but really hospice didn't come in until the very, very end, probably the last month. Well, that was my next question if your mom had any help. So thank you for answering that because that's got to be the hardest job on the planet is to take somebody, take care of somebody who can't communicate their wants and needs with, with you anymore. It is such a difficult job. And yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. And fortunately, my mother had a very good, um, uh, you know, base of care, excuse me. Um, for my dad, all of her sisters lived there, all of his brothers and, and their family. They, they had a pretty tight knit support group there in her hometown. So she wasn't by herself uh, all the time. Oh, good. So because you have had six immediate family members suffer from Alzheimer's disease or one of the brain diseases that causes dementia, um, do you give a lot of thought to the risk that you personally are at for developing dementia? People ask me that all the time, and I'm not quite sure how to answer it. Of course, I'm 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 concerned, but I've done a lot of research on it, so I'm doing things to lower my 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 risk. So tell us how you feel about kind of being in that um, high risk category. You know that is. That is such a very present question 
my wife and I have this kind of discussion on a fairly regular basis and she'll go, okay. it's you, you know, doing one of these things. Uh, but yeah, my, my dad and all of his brothers passed away from some form of dementia within one year. Uh, my dad's father. I mean, one year of them being diagnosed? With within it? one year of the time the first one died and the time the last one died was one year. So all four of those siblings oh, passed boy. away from some form of dementia at that time. Uh, my grandfather had passed away previously. He was, of course, now he was in his 90s, so it's not, not like he was a spring chicken, but but he was in the depths of depra- or, uh, dementia at that time as well. And uh, now my mother um, is deep into dementia. She doesn't know who I am. Uh, you know, she, I mean, she'll, you can sing songs with her, that kind of thing, and she'll sing along, que sera, sera, it's very sweet, but um, now she, the last time I saw her, was, who are you? I'm your son, Mike. Oh, okay. And later she said, now, who are you again? So that kind of thing. So it's kind of, yeah, it, it, well, I mean, it, she would at least knows, respond. She to knows you. She may just, yeah. Her short-term memory has probably been, um, is off more than it's on and she's pulling from her past memories. So she knows she knows you, but she's just not sure where you fit into her picture. Yeah. Now, but um, uh, to answer your question, you, you had asked me, do do I worry about developing um, dementia or Alzheimer's, one of those kind of things? And absolutely. I mean, it's a, you know, when you talk about your dad and your, your beloved uncle, who was the sweetest guy in the entire world, he got very violent towards the end. You know, I, obviously, I look in the mirror and go, are you okay? You, then I'm talking back to myself. I'm going, maybe I'm not. I don't know. It, it certainly makes me want to delve into uh, research being done all summers right now. Or on any kind of and what are some things that I can do to make sure that I'm keeping my brain active as well as my, my physical body? Truth Lies in Alzheimer's, It's Secret Faces by authors Lisa Skinner and Douglas W. Collins is a concise guide for caregivers navigating the heartbreaking challenges of having a loved one diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and other dementia. Everyone has an Alzheimer's story. It's time to start that conversation about Alzheimer's disease and stop treating it like it's only family business. You can find it on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and other fine booksellers. I started doing the DM Zone because I love interviewing people. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity to start visiting with authors, mm-hmm. with uh, corporate clients, and it helps them relax if we're just chatting. For sure. And so that's where the DM Zone created its beginning. Mm-hmm. Then I got to go to Country Thunder. <laughs> All the fun stuff. Oh, and then then Hollywood, our Hollywood producers said, oh, gee, you do interviews? Yeah, well, come on over. And I got to do red carpets. And oh, I just, awesome. I've had a blast doing it. So about for the last 15 years, I have been doing the DM Zone. I love it. And it's fun to interview people because you get to 
get not only get to know them, but know what makes them tick and know what makes them be proud of who they are and what they have <laughs> going on and all these different things happening. But it's great. I'm very excited to, to watch your show and, mm. and everything like that. I love it. Arnold Schwarzenegger supported the use of stem cells for medical treatment as one of his main election agenda items. Credit goes to a handful of people, like USA's First Lady Nancy Reagan, the authority in the field of stem cell science and chairman of Geostar, Dr. Anand Srivastava, Michael J. Fox, Christopher Reeve, and a few researchers who fought against the entire establishment to make this unexplored yet powerful medical science to see the daylight. There's only one type of Alzheimer's disease that's actually considered genetic, and it's the rare form, which is early onset, which typically shows up before the age of 65. The more common form of Alzheimer's disease is not necessarily genetic, but it does tend to run in families. So really that just becomes a risk factor for us because we've had multiple family members who have developed it, but there are so many risk factors that will, can get thrown into the bucket. And the more you have stacked against you, the more at risk you are of developing it. So just because it runs in your family, you still only have a 50% chance of developing it. And some of these risk factors are modifiable and some are not modifiable. If we can work on the ones that we know are modifiable or manageable, then it can negate that from being a risk factor just piled against you. So that was comforting to me, uh, having so many family members have Alzheimer's disease to know that Okay, I still have I still have a 50/50 chance of, of avoiding this. Wow. Yeah, 50/50 still ain't great odds. No. Uh, yeah, that is a comfort. I'm I'm glad to know that cuz I did not know that. Um Oh good. I, I just good. made the assumption. Now, um So can you tell us what some of the biggest challenges have been for you and your family? Let's kind of talk in the present tense because you're, you currently have a mother-in-law that's in a memory care facility. No, your mother-in-law's at home and your mother is in a memory care facility. So, I mean, this disease is just creates all kinds of angst for everybody, for the person who has it, for the family members, for friends. What would you say are some of your biggest challenges that you and your family face? You know, I think the biggest challenge that I have with my mom is that she's just so far away. I mean, she's in a memory care facility in South Central Arkansas, I live in Middle Tennessee, so we're getting 12 hours away by car. Uh, my older brother lives probably five hours away from, so he's a little bit closer. Uh, of course, she has again, a fairly good support system there in her hometown. So all the, the people from her church are there. Her two sisters live locally. She has, uh, you know, nieces and nephews that go to visit her on a daily basis. Uh, so that's a comfort to me to know that I've got, we have family members that are there in town that are able to check on her and make sure her care is being provided properly. Uh, she is in hospice right now. So we have hospice coming in on a daily basis. Uh, her diagnosis is not good. Um, and we've gotten the call three times in the past six weeks uh, that this is it, but 
it's still not it, and she's still there. So I think she's getting the best care that she can at this stage of life for. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with the care that she's giving. It's just, it's just challenging that I can't be there uh, all of the time to, you know, to that's my mom. Uh, yeah. But you do feel, you do feel that she's being well taken care of. Um, boy, that's, that's a, a bit of a loaded question. I'm going to answer it this way. Uh, my mother-in-law is still functional. She is declining. Uh, she has a number of, she has a lot of health issues, everything from COPD and high blood pressure to uh, heart palpitations and angina and the list goes on and on and on. Um, I have uh, kind of refused to accept the term caregiver. Um, quite frankly, you know, I had this conversation with a cardiologist about three weeks ago and, uh, uh, and my response was, I've seen what happens when family members turn into caregivers. And because the steady decline, now this is my perspective, you as a professional may have a different view altogether. So disclaimer. Uh, but when I see that steady decline, it's like it requires more and more of your time and more and more of your effort and more and more of your emotional reserves until you get to a point where you actually resent and maybe even dislike and uh, hate's a pretty strong word, but I've seen people actually grow to hate their parents or in-laws or whatever else because it's just so in your face all the time. And uh, and my response was, I love this one. She's my mother-in-law. I, I mean, she's been my mother-in-law for going on close to 50 years now. So, you know, I, I remember her from way back when I first got married when I was a baby. <laughs> feels like, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I don't want to, like her. And I, I don't want to be frustrated and angry with her. And I certainly don't want to grow to hate her. So I don't want to be her caregiver. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be her son-in-law. And when she needs help, I'm here to help her. And if she needs me, you know, I, once a week, I take her out so she can get out of the house. And, you know, she's got her little walker and she goes around and does her shopping, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and I'll sit with her in the evening. Go, How are you feeling? You okay? Are you lying to me? Tell me the truth. How are you? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't want to be the guy who is responsible for caring for her. So in my re my response, when she first moved into us is when that time comes, then we're either going to have to have people come in to care for you or we're going to have to find a facility that can give you the kind of care that you need. Because I want to be your son-in-law. I don't want to be your Okay, so Mike, I actually have one last question for you, and I think it's a really important question for our audience because, as we talked about, so many people are living this every day of their lives, and the numbers are going to triple in the next 25, 30 years. So because you are on this journey now with your family, is there any advice that you can share with our audience that might help them have an easier time managing this disease? Something that maybe you know today that you wished you had known before? Is there anything that you can share with us? I think for me, the most important thing has been that you have to have someone you can talk to 
about this without feeling like you're judged. Because when you live with uh, an Alzheimer's patient or you live with someone who's suffering dementia, whether it's in your home or whether it's in a care facility somewhere else, it's the elephant in the room. It's always right in your face. You're never very far away from it. And you have to be able to express your anger, your frustration, your despair at times. Um, you have to be able to express that to someone who is not going to feel like you're just the, the most awful person in the world for not wanting to be in it all the time. Uh, fortunately, I'm married to a incredible woman who uh, will take a walk with me pretty much every day, at least for, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes. And we often look at each other and go, okay, safe space. I just need to talk. And it's like, talk, baby, talk. And I will talk as well. And you, just so you can pour all of that stuff out so that when you get back home, you're ready to face it again. I think that's the biggest thing for me is don't do this by yourself. No. And I think we're all in agreement now that everybody truly does have an Alzheimer's story, but people are just now starting to come out of the woodwork and be willing to talk about it before they wouldn't even talk about it because of stigmas and being afraid of judgments and um, being afraid to admit that they have this, this situation going on. We really need to raise this awareness because you know, we are on the verge of the next global crisis if, if we can't talk about it and, and really start addressing the needs of the people. You have been a wonderful, wonderful guest. We learned so much from you and can't tell you um, how appreciative we are of you taking the time to be on the show today. Sometimes I can hear the sound Trying to make sense in my brain You have to have someone you can talk to about this without feeling like you're judged. When you live with uh, an Alzheimer's patient or you live with someone who's suffering dementia, whether it's in your home or whether it's in a care facility somewhere else, it's the elephant in the room. It's always right in your face. You're never very far away from it. Sometimes I can hear the sound Trying to make sense in my brain Smooth melody comes to life after the rain Piece of paper and love is what I need to change the world. A few bunch of words in this song written for me. And for